Nights and days came and passed, and summer and winter, and the rain. And it was good to be a little island, a part of the world and a world of its own, all surrounded by the bright blue sea. Margaret Wise Brown, The Little Island. You're listening to Jamie's Bits of Jam, a monthly storytelling podcast celebrating writing from bricky brave gals. Each month, we choose a theme and share stories based on that theme for you, Giggle Mugs. Our theme this month is tropical. Our first writer, Stephanie Lacey Price, will start the show. The Gulf by Stephanie Lacey Price. The sand is warm and I dig my toes in to take pressure off my heels. Their dull ache is pulsing stronger as the Vicodin wears off. I've timed my doses so I don't run out, and the next one isn't for an hour. Amy is laying on a towel next to me. Are you coming in with me today, I ask, squinting through the sun just falling from its apex. She shakes her head. I showered yesterday, remember? I sigh and take off my glasses and sunglasses and put them in a hard shell case in my bag. The water resists my strides until I sink under and split through it with my arms, bobbing with the gentle waves as I head outwards. Everything is blurry and salty. Under the water, the sound is so lonely and still. We'd stayed in downtown St. Petersburg, Florida for a week, first at a hotel with two locks on every door and bars on the windows, and then on the houseboat of a guy we'd found on a website for travelers. I'd slept with him straight away. The next day, he'd driven us to my childhood home in a car that started with a screwdriver in the ignition. It was dusk and hard to tell anything out, but I recognized the attic window. Now, Amy and I were on the beach resort side of the city. Amy and I bought mini squirt guns and filled them with whiskey. It was hard to pour the whiskey in and we got it all over our hands, but it was worth it to shoot liquor into each other's mouths while we laid out on the beach. I stay out and swim into waves until the sun grows larger. When I get back to shore, I squint and wander past a dozen beach towels, growing uneasy until I spot Amy's black hair. She's on her stomach, reading, propped up by her elbows. In the parking lot skirting the beach, I rinse myself with bottled water, and we pull on cotton dresses. Amy wears strappy sandals, but I have to wear leather loafers that my special insoles fit in. I check the time and take a pill. Fancy seafood time? Fancy seafood time? Amy claps. We walk until we find a restaurant with a walkway lined with oyster shells, leading to large glass doors. We order a fried fisherman's plate to share and glasses of red wine, and we smooth thick layers of butter on the bread they bring us. I'm excited to meet your dad, she says. What's he like? My dad is driving from Massachusetts to see us and to visit his old friends on his way to my cousin's wedding in California. He only lived in Florida for a little while and moved back to his hometown before my mom knew she was pregnant. I imagine he's thinking of it as one of those classic American cross-country road trips full of personal discovery and intrigue across the vast American landscape. Oh, you know, a landlord, a new age spiritualist, a convicted drug felon, a regular kind of dad, I laugh. He's a felon? Did you tell me that? She sips her wine. Probably, possession of heroin, I think. When I was 14, no one ever tells me anything, I shrug. He's pretty ascetic now. 
After dinner, we hold hands and walk through the cabana-style bars behind the row of hotels running all down the beach. We order Mai Tais and pina coladas and other strange fizzy pink drinks and plastic novelty glasses. How long has it been since you ate seafood, she asks me. Seven years, I say. I guess I can go another seven more now. I smile at her and sway my hips. Let's go back in the water. No, there are sharks, she says. You're more likely to die in a car crash, for God's sakes. Let's just walk down there. She sighs but stands up, and the music and laughter from the bars fade behind us as we near the water. It's dark, but we can hear the water slipping up the shoreline. Come on, I laugh, my arm around her waist. I wade slowly into the water, pulling her gently along. I toss our bags onto the sand behind us. Amy gasps. Look, phosphorescent algae. It's magical. Around our feet, lightning bug-like flashes are erupting with our movements. I splash away from her and bend over and puke. I rinse my mouth with salt water and walk back. I'm okay, I gasp. I just gave back all that seafood. We sit down in the water and it slides gently up and down our stomachs, sparkling around us. I lay my head on Amy's shoulder and try to find the point where the water meets the sky. I wish you weren't leaving me, I say. I mean, I get it. It's California, and you'll be near the ocean, and Charles is okay, I guess. I miss living by the ocean. Amy puts her hand on my back, brushing my hair to the side, leaving a wet trail along the nape of my neck. I know, baby. She lets her arm fall back softly into the water. Do you ever think of who you would be if your family had stayed in Florida? I move my feet up and down slowly and watch the water light up. I think that's all I thought about as a kid, I say. It always seems so exotic to be from Florida. But eventually I'd lived in Wisconsin for so long, I started saying I was from there. 361 days of sunshine a year is unnatural anyway. She laughs. Did you remember what your old house looked like? I remembered the cobblestone street and the honeysuckle along the fence and the red ant hill that bit the shit out of my feet once and the banana tree in the backyard that never grew any bananas. We took part of it with us, but jelly beans chewed on it until it died. I think if we'd stayed in Boston, I'd be way more Korean, Amy says. I'd be Catholic and dating a nice Korean boy and in med school or whatever my mom wanted me to do. What do you remember about Boston? Nothing, really. I don't understand how other people remember their childhoods. Eventually, I stand up slowly without splashing her. It's black all around us except for the far-off lights of the hotels and the stars which seem reflected in the water at our feet. We'd better go or we won't wake up for checkout. I touch her shoulder lightly, and she takes my hand, and we don't move for a long time. A few days later, I rode roller coasters with my dad at Bush Gardens, while Amy slept off her hangover at the hotel. My dad stayed in Florida a few days after Amy and I left, and then he drove back home. A road trip sucks when you're on your own, he told me. You don't have a chance to appreciate everything you're passing by. The end. The Tourist Season by Cassie Soliday.
It's day four of ten here on their honeymoon in Oahu. Day one was the first day that she had ever laid eyes on a palm tree. They looked fake, so fake she touched it as if that would prove anything. Dan has little patience for her curiosity as he told her to grab her bags. Day two, he tried to teach her how to surf, but she was too afraid of the ocean and of the sharks. Day three was a blur of seafood for Dan, while she ate her Caesar salad and tried to stay clear due to her allergies. But today, today is different. Dan has been committed to the hotel room, lying food poisoned and vomiting from the bed. She sits on the edge of shade outside, staring at the ocean's edge. The resort medic insisted that Dan should rest, drink and eat liquids, namely that of the delicious soup of the day, which can be ordered through room service. It's the bomb, he had said. I didn't want to come here, and now I'm alone on my honeymoon, she says to herself as she thinks about how she's too fair-skinned to truly enjoy the sun. Antique clock shopping in Switzerland is more her speed. Hating this heat, hating the beautiful toned bodies that lay on the beach and take up pool space, she sulks further. Their wedding was five days ago. She tries to think back to remember the moments, the highlight reel. Everyone says it will go by in an instant and to remember to take it all in. It turns out that it's sound advice. It went by in a flash and she could barely remember anything at all. Of the things that race through her mind now, it's what she wishes she could forget. The rip in her dress. Her heel breaking as she was pushed into the six-tiered chocolate wedding cake. A wedding crasher screaming at her, pulling her beautifully curled hair out of its hairsprayed state. His parents calling her the whore and his younger sister throwing the fruit punch on her dress. There were good moments, too. Probably. They escape her right now. The sun has lightened up with its heat waves, and the clouds have provided some cover. It feels like a good time to walk along the beach with the other honeymooners, fingers locked with starry eyes. She walks as far as she can to where they start to disappear. When she turns to look back at the resort, people are only tiny dots off in the distance. It's easy to be held back by someone else. I should have worn sunscreen. She thinks as she feels the glossy, sticky sweat coating her arms that will ensure that she will be an orangey mess tonight. Sand between her toes, the sea encroaches on her turf every other wave. But it's not necessarily her turf. The only thing she truly owns is her body, her own thoughts. I occupy the space but for a moment, and then I will move on. Up ahead, there is a road that comes close to shore. Looking towards it, she's not sure how many towns are on this island or if the people who truly live here are kind. What she does have tucked away in her cargo shorts pocket is Dan's wallet where he kept her bank card and ID firmly hidden, as if he was worried what he had done to his ex is what she would do to him. It's easy to be held back by someone else, but it's even easier to get in your own way. For a pair of sky-blue eyes to derail you, she opens his wallet to find the picture of him and his ex stuffed behind their fresh engagement photo from a few weeks back, suffocating the four-year-long open wound of a relationship. Will Dan say the same things he said to his ex 
to her four years from now. On an island where the only season is now, she remains a tourist if she stays or if she goes. Our next story is from Christina Kishpaw, and it's called Islands and Parrots. Mr. Palmer wore a tropical shirt today. Mr. Palmer, whose first name was rumored to be Yaxley, is the most boring person on the planet. He usually rotates a pretty monochromatic color scheme of brown button-ups and slacks. Penny loafers without pennies to round out the elderly Indiana Jones look. Mr. Palmer is not elderly, though. He's young. Well, youngish, maybe mid-30s. If you had asked me before Tropical sure to get in, I'd tell you he was in his 60s. But something about the blues and the greens and the little wide-eyed parrots now suddenly sprawled across his chest brings out the youth in his face. As I sit and watch those parrots move about as he lectures, I can't seem to remember what subject Mr. Palmer even teaches. I know I have an A in this class. An almost invisible teacher makes it easy to focus on the task at hand. I have B's in math and English because Mrs. Andre is a hot mess all the time, and Mr. Stalling is a grade-A sexist douchebag. Comes with also being the football coach, I guess. But Mr. Palmer, he's so quiet. He teaches... history? Shut up, parrots. I can't hear him. So, Secretary Hamilton was disgraced by the Reynolds pamphlet. Oh, okay, yes. U.S. history. Snore. There is no way I'm going to pay attention to boring stories of the past when the biggest mystery of our time is standing right before us. I look around at my other classmates. Does anyone notice? I mean, it's very striking. There's even little islands on there. Islands and parrots. I look over at Wally, the class idiot. Usually, if there's something to be pointed out, Wally will do it. I watch as Wally takes notes down like he's not a total basket case with severe ADD. How is this possible? Am I going crazy? I secretly text Amber, my closest friend in this class. She's a total pill-popping skank, but she's also hilarious and throws great parties. I text her, Do you notice Mr. Palmer? She opens to another spot in her textbook, a.k.a. checking her phone tucked into the pages. She looks up at me and her eyebrows furrow in... worry? She texts back, Generally never? Ugh, forget her, basic bitch. She's probably too high to even have cognitive thought right now. Mr. Palmer is suddenly standing right next to me. I can feel my face flushing. Can he hear my thoughts? Can the parrots hear my thoughts? He doesn't look down at me, though. He moves along, and I can breathe again. With great difficulty, I rip my eyes away from the islands and parrots and up at the actual man. Maybe the answer lies there. He has sandy brown hair. Ha! Sandy. Just like those damn islands. His face is lit up, probably still talking about Senator Reynolds or whatever it was. His eyes are blue, kind of a light blue, like the blue on his shirt. 
Why is this freaking me out so much? Am I having a mental breakdown? He suddenly looks right at me. Clara, did you have something to say? You look like you're about to jump out of your seat. I sit with mouth agape, looking like a total freak. I should just ask him about the shirt. Just do it. Put myself out of this misery. Instead, I shake my head and look down at my textbook. I can hear some giggles behind me. Screw them. They know not to cross me. I can destroy anyone in this asylum they call a high school. Mr. Palmer continues. So boring. Suddenly, I'm a mermaid swimming in the blue waves of his shirt. I jump from the water and wave at a parrot who waves back. I see an island not far off, and there's someone standing on it. They wave their hands, and I swim over. It's Mr. Palmer. He's shirtless and tan. Mr. Palmer, call me Yaxley. What are you doing here? Where is your shirt? He extends his arms. This is my shirt. I look around at the baby blue sky reflected in the smooth waves that my mermaid self bobs around in. It's so lovely here. In his shirt. Why am I here? Why am I a mermaid? Mr. Palmer begins waiting toward me, his smile as constant as the horizon. He gets to about a foot away from me when he reaches up into the sky and pulls out a mango. From nowhere. Where did that come from? I ask. A parrot above us flies back and forth, whistling a beautiful melody. Mr. Palmer reaches out his hand and shushes me. He pushes my hair behind my ear. My hair, which I now notice is a dark purple and very long. Long enough to cover my naked breasts? I gasp and plunge into the water, up to my neck. Mr. Palmer laughs. It's a very mature man laugh, like what you'd get from a Liam Neeson or a Harrison Ford. Clara, hair floats. I look down in horror as I realize my hair now is floating on the surface of the perfectly clear water, exposing the very thing, or things... I was trying to cover up. I'm up out of the water again. I look down and adjust my hair to cover up. I look up, and Mr. Palmer is now inches from my face. Boring Mr. Palmer. He leans in, and I close my eyes, awaiting our lips to touch. All while that parrot is joined by a host of other parrots, whistling that same gorgeous melody. Our love theme... Clara! My eyes shoot open as the bell rings to dismiss class. My classmates are all sniggering behind me and I can feel my face flush a deep red. The same red that is now painted across Mr. Palmer's own face. Everyone gets up and leaves. I'm still hazy, so I move slower. Soon, it's me and Mr. Palmer, alone. I have to say something. I can't let this be my life. Hey, Mr. Palmer. Nice shirt. What's the occasion? He smiles. He's so cute when he smiles. His eyes twinkle. My wife and I are going to Hawaii tomorrow. Thought I'd start early. 
I hate myself so much. Why is my heart breaking? He's old and boring and adorable and has a nice smile. No, no more. I would have to put an end to this once and for all. I didn't want to, but it's for the good of any future girls like me who may come through Mr. Palmer's classroom. No one else has to go through what I have this day. Well, I lied, actually. That shirt is hella fugly, and I'd get home as soon as possible and burn it. He stares at me blankly, unsure how to respond. He swallows and nods. Well, thank you for letting me know, Clara. He looks sad and embarrassed, and I feel awful. But it's for everyone's own good. I'm an unsung hero. Well, have a great trip, Mr. Palmer. Being reminded of his upcoming vacation cheers him a bit. Thank you, Clara. Have a good weekend. I turn to walk out of the classroom, feeling I have done good this day. I get to the doorway when I stop suddenly, but dare not turn around. Mr. Palmer is humming. The same love theme those parrots were singing from my dream. Jammiest Bits of Jam is produced by Christina Kishbaugh and Cassie Soliday. Music by Grace Sai. Follow us on Facebook as Jammiest Bits of Jam Podcast or on Twitter at Bits of Jam Podcast. If you enjoy our show, please share this episode with your friends and rate us on iTunes. With your help, we can promote the unique voices of women everywhere. To learn how you too can contribute to the show with your own short story based on the next theme, please email jammiestbits at gmail.com. Until then, keep writing and embracing the most important thing that you have, your voice.